Lord, we come to you now as our everlasting Father. We praise you because you are our everlasting Father. We praise you, God, because you are our Prince of Peace. We praise you, God, even as I think about the government being on your shoulders. We recognize, God, that you are sovereign over all things. You are sovereign over every decision that is made on our behalf. You are sovereign over the protection you provide for your church. You are the one, Lord, that can bring us peace. And we praise you for that. Lord, if, there is a, if there's a heart right now that's here that is struggling to know your everlasting peace, I'm asking God right now by the power and the might and the work of your Holy Spirit that you would breathe into them a peace that passes all understanding that would guard their heart and their mind in you, Christ Jesus. If there is someone today that is tormented by um, the worries and anxieties of life, Lord, draw them into your everlasting arms. May they know you. Lord, if there is one here that does not know you as the Lord of their lives, I'm asking that you would do a work in their heart, that you would draw them unto yourself. Lord, as we open your word, I pray, God, I know your word is a convicting, it's a convicting thing, but Lord, even through the convicting words that flow from your Bible, I'm asking, Lord, that, that it would bring peace, that it would bring understanding, that it would bring healing, that it would bring confession and, and, and reconciliation and restoration. All of these things, Lord, we know are possible through you. So hear our prayers now, Lord, and as the word is opened up before us, I ask that you would be the declarer of your own word, that I would be your mouthpiece. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. You can turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. That's where we're going to be again today. And, uh, I, like, once again, I am I'm amazed at Vicky's ability to remember the names, not just of the children that were being dedicated today, but the names of the parents, the names of the brothers and sisters, the names of the children, on and on. I don't know if there were 40 people up here today. But she remembered all their names. And so I look at, uh, it's been a while since we've even mentioned to you or even asked the question, how are you doing with your memory verses that we, are, that we have chosen to be kind of the, the cornerstone passage for, um, for our First Peter study that we've been in now for a couple of months. But, but uh, how are you doing with the memory verses? And I know a long time ago, our former pastor, Pastor Ken, he invited the church into a season of, of Scripture memory. And every month we had a passage that we had to have memorized. And so he started out by, at the end of the first month, he said, hey, how many out there can raise your hand right now and say, I have the passage memorized? Well, I raised my hand because I had it memorized. And a guy just a few seats down raised his hand because he had it memorized. And so guess what? Guess what Ken did? He called on him. He said, hey, Howard, so why don't you stand up and share it with us? I can tell you right now, if he would have called on me, even though I had it memorized, I would not have been able to recite it. It could have been as simple as John 3:16, for God so loved the world. But put on the spot like that, I am not a pressure player. I could not have said it. So I'm wondering how you are doing right now with memorizing um, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. 9, 10, 11, 12, there's four verses. How are you doing with it? I'm going to read it with you because this is a pressure situation for me. And even though I am, I think I'm doing pretty well at having it memorized for me to be able to say it by memory right now is not going to work. But we are called, we're told by God in 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 9 to 12 that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, 
that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Verse 11, beloved, Peter says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. These are our memory verses. Identity matters. For us to understand who we are in Christ is the springboard for us to enter into the process of from that moment on, the moment we receive the Holy Spirit of God, that we would then declare the excellencies of God, of what He started for us on the cross through the person of Jesus Christ and establishing us in His everlasting kingdom as a chosen person of His a royal priesthood, that's you and me, when we come to Jesus. And so we should desire to proclaim His excellencies. Peter tells us then, he says, I urge you, knowing, like as parents, we are going to urge our children to live in a specific way, yet we cannot demand it of them because they're going to make decisions on their own to live in accordance with what they think is best for them, and then they're going to learn. But Peter says, I urge you, look, you are engaged in a battle that will end the moment you step into glory. The battle of the passions of the flesh is they wage war against your soul. Your flesh desires the things of this world because your flesh is of this world. It's waging war against your soul. That which God has claimed and He has tied together with His Holy Spirit. That's where the battle lies. And last week, Bjorn shared with us the beginnings of what really is Peter addressing what can be, if we are not, cap- or if we're not careful, one of the greatest battlegrounds we experience, and that is in relationship, in the relationship that is shared between husband and wife in marriage. Our marriage has the potential to expose to us the nasty passions of the flesh that the Holy Spirit of God wants us to lay down and and desires for us to declare His excellencies. Our flesh often presses and insists on me and my way, not on God. And our our soul should be trusting and wanting and desiring to do it the way God wants us to mingled together with His Holy Spirit. It's about Him and not us. Here's what we want to do. We want to serve the passions of our flesh because that's what we do. And you look at last week's passage, passage the first six verses. Husbands, I'd like, to, I'd like to check your hearts right now. As Peter declared that message, were you like nudging your wife saying, are you listening to this? Were you sitting there, maybe your wife was serving in kids' ministry, and you're like, ah, I wish she could hear this. That's what we want to do. We want to say, husbands want to demand, hey, look, 1 Peter chapter 3 says this, beginning of verse 1, it says, hey, wife, you are supposed to be subject to me. You are supposed to submit to me. My word matters the most. You are supposed to listen to what I have to say and do it the way I say it. That's the temptation of the flesh. That's the passion of the flesh revealing itself. The husband also wants to say the temptation of the flesh is today, you're supposed to be respectful and pure in your conduct toward me. Verse 3 says, do not let your adorning be external, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart and with imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. You are supposed to be beautiful and gentle and have a quiet spirit as it relates to me. That's the temptation. That's the battle of the flesh. And the battle of the flesh of the man, the husband, wants to hold that over his wife's head. And then wives, today, you're going to be tempted to demand verse 7. 
husband, you are supposed to live with me in an understanding way. It's you must understand who I am. You must show honor to me. You must value me. You must hold me in such high regard. I am priceless to you, and you must see me that way. The wife will be tempted to look and say, I am an heir of the same grace you received, and so therefore you must treat me as your equal. You see what's happening here. You have the husband's flesh desiring that the wife get her seven verses right, and then you have the wife who is desiring and demanding that her husband would get his verse right. It's kind of funny, right? The ladies get seven verses, the guys get one. Well, I could say that's all guys can handle. But I could also say, well, according to Ephesians chapter 5, the ladies get like three verses and the guys get nine verses. So however you want to cut that, here's the full matter. Men, verses 1 to 6 is for your wife. Ladies, verse 7 is for your husband. Men, the first six verses are that your wife would be holy in her conduct toward her husband, thus in your marriage declaring the excellencies of God through her actions. Ladies, verse 7 is for your husband that he would be holy in his relationship with you, so that the way he treats you is a reflection of the excellencies of the glory of God in your marriage. But we want to hold those verses over each other, don't we? That's the flesh, waging war against our soul. Here's what we need to do. We need to stop striving and insisting and understand that these are personal matters. Your marriage is going to thrive because you desire to be holy before God, not your spouse. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 to 16, calls, Peter says to us, If you are an obedient child, we're not to be conformed to the passions of our former ignorance. So before we come into relationship with Christ, conform to the passions of our former ignorance. But... As he who called you is holy, so God himself is holy, you also, you, the finger is pointed at you, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Well, yeah, but what if, well, yeah, but what if, the, the yeah, but what ifs, the, the, they just, they go out the window because Peter is saying, this is on you. You be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, God says, you shall be holy, for I am holy. We, husbands, we, wives, are not, as some put it, the fourth person of the Trinity. We do not say, we do not insist, we do not demand. It is only the Holy Spirit of God in the, in the heart, in the soul of your spouse that does the transforming work. We must recognize this is a heart-level matter. It is a heart-driven issue. And so when the question is asked, what is it that my marriage needs the most? What is it that your marriage needs the most? What is it, husbands, that your wives need the most? What is it, wives, that your husbands need the most? And that's that you turn the mirror and you look at yourself and you ask the question to God, how is it that you want me to express holiness in my marriage? Romans 15, verses 5 to 6 say this, 
God wants your marriage to declare the excellencies of him to a world that's watching. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together, as you each are working out your own holiness before God, that together you may with one voice, your marriage declares with one voice, the glory of God the Father that comes through the person of Jesus Christ. As we looked last week at those first seven verses, verses 1 through 6, as we look even at just one verse today, verse 7, and you take into account the complexities of, of each marriage that exists here today, that is represented in this room today, there are so many practicalities that we could go after, but in a, but in a 40 to 45-minute sermon, there is no way to address each practicality. You could sit there and say, well, yeah, but what if this in my marriage? Yeah, but what if that in my marriage? Look, that's what small group is for. That's what biblical counseling is for. That is what relationship over coffee with those who are close to you in relationship with the Lord. That's what that is for. Hey, let's, let's work this out together over the next couple of weeks sitting over a cup of coffee. That's where we deal with the practicalities. The intention of this morning is this. Husbands, so I'm turning to you now. Husbands, this is the intention, that your heart's desire is that you respond to your wife in holiness. That you respond to your wife in holiness. When your heart's desire is for the heart to change, to put aside the passions of the flesh that come from your former ignorance. When your heart's desire is to put that away and then desire to do it the way God wants you to, that's when the practicalities start falling into place and the puzzle pieces of your marriage begin to fall together to desire what is right. So husbands, here we go, wives, here we go. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Read it with me. One simple verse. Likewise, husbands, live with your wife, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. That's our verse for the day. So, to be a holy husband, last week was to be a holy wife, today to be a holy husband. And so this passage, I love it because it's very straightforward. What does it mean? What does it take to be a holy husband? Here's the first one. To be a holy husband, I must, just as the passage says it, I must live with my wife in an understanding way. Do you remember back in 1992, if you're old enough, or even if you're not, I mean, the book still exists. In 1992, there was a guy by the name of John Gray who wrote a book called Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus. You remember that? Listen to these two taglines that kind of describe and give you an idea about what that book is like. Keep in mind now, you're being instructed by Peter to live with your wife in an understanding way. Wives, how many times have you said to your husband, you're not listening to me, you don't hear me, you don't understand me? That word, understand. Live with your wives in an understanding way. This is the way John Gray spells it out in his book. Men are motivated when they feel needed. And I would agree with that. I am motivated when I... There are many things that motivate a man. But here he is suggesting that inside the marriage or inside a relationship with a woman, men are motivated when they feel needed. While a woman is motivated when she feels cherished. So, based on what he just said, if I were to determine what my wife needs in marriage, if I, in, in our marriage, if I'm going to live with her in an understanding way, then I must understand what it means for me to cherish her because that's what she needs. She needs to be cherished. So think about this now. To live with your wife in an understanding way, you're letting what you're letting what is determined for that what a man is determining she needs to guide then how you respond to her. 
So husbands, if you were to ask your wife, what is it, how do I make you feel cherished? Okay? I want you to think about how that can be corrupted by two individuals, husband and wife, whose desire is to put aside the passions of the flesh and have victory as my soul is mingled together with the Holy Spirit, letting what your wife determines to make her feel cherished. Let you, you determine with your wife, you have a, you have a talk over dessert, this is, what it me, this is how I feel cherished. Okay, I see this is how you feel cherished. When you, when you let that determine what your, how you respond to your wife and let her be, feel cherished, you are still, you are in a process of making decisions as, as you are working to put aside the passions of the flesh and love her and make her feel cherished in a holy way. Hang with me here. His second tag phrase, first one, men are motivated when they feel needed while women are motivated when they feel cherished. The second one is this, a practical guide for improving communication and getting what you want. Getting what you want in your relationships or in the context of the passage, getting what you want out of your marriage. So, so Wendy, what is it that makes you feel cherished? While I truly and honestly believe that she offers those things, practical ways for me to help her feel cherished, I also must understand that she is still battling with, battling with the passions of her flesh. And the Word of God must be what directs us in understanding how we respond to each other. Men feel needed, women feel cherished. The book is a practical guide to getting what you want in relationships. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Understanding. Understanding. This is really the heart behind what Peter wants us to see when, and understand when we read husbands live with your wives in an understanding way. He means husbands live with your wives in accordance with the knowledge of the will of God. Live in accordance with the knowledge of the will of God. Understanding what it is God would have to say is what your wife needs most out of you, husband, in your marriage. You see how that's so completely different in from letting myself or my wife determine what is best for her and for me in my marriage. Husbands, live with your wives in accordance with the knowledge of the will of God. That is us then very carefully responding in the Spirit that is mingled together with our souls, letting the Word of God determine for us what it is that our wives need best. Understanding that. 1 Peter 2, verse 11 says, I urge you, as a reminder, I urge you, husbands, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Flesh versus spirit. We must live understanding what the will of God is for our marriage in our own holiness. So, let me ask the question again, what is it that my wife needs from me? Husbands, this is what your wife needs from you. Yes, we should understand what it means to cherish our wives. Yes, we should understand how to meet her needs. We need to understand those things. But this is what our wife needs from us the most, men, is that we would be holy. We would be holy. It must be up to God. So, well, okay, so what does it mean then, Todd, for me to be holy? You really pounded this into the dirt. What does it mean for a husband to be holy toward his wife? Well, let's imagine that all we have right now is First Peter. He has given us First Peter. That's all we have. None of the rest of the Bible. We only have 1 Peter. 
I would suggest to you this, men, there is enough in the first six verses of chapter 3 that will help us to understand what it means for me to be holy. Look at verse 1. Like, or likewise, wives, be subject to your own husband. Be subject to me. Husbands, how hard must it be, how hard must it be for your wife to be subject to you? You, do we need to make another change? Here comes Corey. Do we need to? This? Yeah, Wendy has one. I'm about ready to call her up. Wendy, why don't you come on up? I'm going to try this one more time. Like, when, I, when we were first married, I was really awesome. <laughs> I was. I was. And so imagine a young man at the age of 32 that was really awesome, and God is saying to her, you need to be subject to that guy who is really awesome. Of course, I thought in my head, this is really easy, right? Because I'm so awesome. And then... So, yeah. <laughs> this is my wife, Wendy. She's I, not just a prop. This is my wife. Okay. Thank you. Yes, a wife of 22 and a half years. And... Um, I've shared this before. Some of you may have heard me share this, but Todd's asked me to share again because it's so applicable to this portion of the passage. Um, but our first several years of marriage were actually quite difficult for me. Because I was awesome. <laughs> um, and I was reading every book, I, Christian book, that I could get my hands on that was about marriage because and praying and praying, Lord, Really, Lord, change him. <laughs> that was my perspective because he was the problem, right? And that's not the only wrong perspective I had by far. But um, praying that and praying that, I remember very clearly where I was sitting and everything. One day, sitting and reading about respecting my husband. And I had a conversation with the Lord. But Lord, you know him. You see him. You know our marriage. You, you know, right, that he's not worthy of all of that. And the Lord said, oh, daughter, I'm not asking you to respect him because he's worthy of it. I'm asking you to respect your husband because I am your father God, your Savior and Lord. And I thought, well, for you, I will. For you, I will. And I remember how hard it was to get up out of that chair and make my feet go one in front of the other because I knew I had to seek his forgiveness. And when I did, God was so faithful. He used that moment to change my heart and to change our marriage for his good. So. I'm going to... I'm going to keep trying with this one, okay? If it makes more noise, I'll go back to that handheld. Men, the, the purpose is not, uh, for real, I did think I had it all together. I mean, I was married before, five and a half years, wife killed in a car accident. I thought I was, a, I mean, if you want to know the deep, deepest, darkest corners of my heart, I thought I had, I thought I had it all figured out and going on. And so, here's the point. What my, living with my wife in an understanding way is me understanding what it means for her to be in submission to me. The arrogance that I carried around as a young man, and still the Lord keeps putting his thumb on me and pressing me down. She should not have to battle to submit to a man like that. So if husbands, if you want to know what it means, the beginning of what it means to be holy before God and holy in your marriage... Don't make it hard for your wife to submit to you, to have to respect and honor you. It begins with that. If you want,
to live with your wife in an understanding way. I did say if it happened one more time. If you want to live with your wife in an understanding way or in accordance with the knowledge of the will of the Lord, look again at verse 1. That your husband would be one without a word. Now, I understand that this is speaking in the context of a wife who is married to an unsaved husband. So, living with your wife in an understanding way, saved husband, the implications are still the same. How often do you act like an unbeliever? that your wife needs to win you away from, that you would begin to act like a believer. You should not need to be one. You are the one W-O-N. You should not need to be one by your wife. You should be the winner because you are the leader. You should be the champion for your wife and to your wife, a champion in holiness that does not need to be won by the words that she would say to you. One without a word should not exist in your marriage because you are holy before God. Sidebar, men, you want to feel needed, right? Men, It's nice to be the champion, right? The passions of the flesh make you, in inappropriate ways sometimes, want to be the champion of someone else. Let me, men and women, husbands and wives, let me say this. God determines two champions in the life of a woman. Well, let's say three. The first champion is Jesus Christ himself. Ladies, your husband is not your first champion. Jesus is your first champion. He will never fail you. He is the one you run to. Men, there are, aside from Jesus Christ, there are two champions. The first one assigned to a woman is her father. Her father is the champion of her life until the father takes the hand of his daughter and puts it in the hand of another man that is becoming her husband. At that moment, the father is no longer the first champion after Jesus in that woman's life. It's now her husband who is the first champion. Husbands, men, please understand that. If you feel some kind of satisfaction that comes from being a consoling shoulder or ear for another person or another woman, I want you to say you need to confess and repent and turn from that because you are not her champion if you are not her father, if you are not her husband. Does that make sense? Men, we are called to be champions. We are called to be the winners. We should not need to be won by our wives into holiness. We should be winning by living holy lives before our wives. How about this one? Live with your wife in an understanding way. What does it mean to be holy in my marriage? Look at verse, uh, look at verse 3. No, excuse me, look at verse 4. Actually, verses 3 and 4. Do not let your adorning be external, he says to the woman, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, which is imperish- or with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. A holy husband makes sure that his wife knows 
that he loves her whole person. Let's go back to the former ignorance. Let's say you were saved when you came into relationship with your wife. All right? Men, let's be real. There are passions of the flesh, which some of them God says, yes, these are good and right. But when that becomes the purpose for your marriage, you are serving yourself. That is an unrighteous, unholy passion of the flesh. As your soul is mingled together with the Holy Spirit of God, what God wants from us men is that our wives understand we love the whole person of our wives. The whole person. We love the heart. We love the soul. And yes, ladies are not to let their adorning be external. But men, our wives should also know we love the way they look. They are pleasing to our sight. Ladies, that's not paramount. In God's sight, the inner person of the woman is what matters most. Husbands, we need to make sure our wives understand we love their whole person from heart and soul to the exterior. Makes sense, right? If you want your wife to know she's cherished, you live wholly before God by understanding that she wants to know she is loved by you straight to the core of her being. To be a holy husband, we must men live with our wives in an understanding way in accordance with the knowledge of the will of God. The will of God for you in your marriage, men, you can see how you're supposed to respond to them in those first six verses. Right? Okay. Live with our wives in an understanding way. Let's keep moving. We must show, to be a holy husband, we must also show honor to our wives. Here's what honor means. It's playing right into what we just talked about. It means this, that you value Your wife holds extreme value to you. There is no price you wouldn't pay for your wife, right up to the laying down of your own life for her sake because you value her so much. You honor her word, what she says to you. You honor her way. You are proud to be seen with her. Let's take a moment and talk about the honoring of the word. Men, we have been, and ladies, listen, we have been given by God a position of leadership in the home. That's what he determined, that's the way he determined it to be. Yes, we're going to talk about what it means to be co-heirs together of the same grace in just a few minutes. But there does, there does come a moment in every marital relationship where if, if deferment continues to be passed back and forth, back and forth, someone's got to finally make a decision, right? Like whether you're going to Burger King or McDonald's. I don't care. Where do you want to go? I don't care. Where do you want to go? I don't care. Where do you want to go? And before you, somebody needs to finally make a decision. So in something very simplistic like that, God would say, husband, step up and just settle it. Okay, we're going to go to Wendy's. That's where, I mean, that's where I would go. I would choose Wendy's over either one of those two. But honoring her word, honoring her word means that you are not simply just listening because you're supposed to. You're not just listening in order to have the next thing to say. You are legit listening because you value what she has to say. Because her word means something to you, because you recognize it as priceless, because God has determined for her to be in your life, to offer word for you to listen to and to take into account. That's what it means to honor her word, honor her way. Okay, so when you first got married, before you were married, men, there were things your girlfriend slash eventual fiance, so you're the one that's becoming your wife, that you found to be very attractive and cute and you loved it and you were like, yeah, that's my wife. Did you see what you were? Something happens 
when you say the I do's and you get married. I don't know what it is. I really believe it's a battle of the passions of the flesh. I don't want her to have attention. I'm the attention here. It, it must be. But it's the battle of the passions of the flesh that all of a sudden the things that were attractive to you are no longer attractive to you. More, more to the point, they've become not just not attractive, but annoying and embarrassing to you. Hey, look, your wife hasn't changed. You have. Your desires have changed. God is starting to reveal it to you. You mean more to you than your wife means to you. Husbands, we must be proud to be seen with our wives. That's what it means to honor your wife. If you want your marriage to declare the excellencies of the glory of the Lord, if you want your marriage with one voice, men, to, to declare who God is, you are proud to be seen with your wife. That's what it means to honor. It goes on to say, to be a holy husband, to honor our wife also means that we must treat her as the weaker vessel. Um, I, would, I would have this discussion with the church all day long. Because I believe that most in here would agree with that. If I jump in to a cage with the world's best female MMA fighter, so cage fighter, I am not that awesome. Maybe when I was 32 I was that awesome, but I am not. She would destroy me. But very typically speaking, why don't you see women defensive linemen in the NFL why don't you see women offensive linemen in the NFL? Typically speaking, because men are bigger and stronger and faster. Hence, women, weaker vessel as it relates to men, in, in relationship to men, but as it relates to emotional fortitude as it relates to spiritual fortitude. Men and women share in the same grace that is extended to each other by God himself. When Paul says weaker vessel, he is saying, or excuse me, when Peter says weaker vessel, this wasn't an issue for them in that time. He was simply saying men are stronger than women. Okay? Now look, the same word for vessel there is used in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul says this, so write this down, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 to 10. We are to treat our wives as the weaker vessel, okay? That's how we show honor to them. Vessel is the same word used for jars when Paul is talking about us being jars of clay, these fragile things that carry around the gospel message. The beauty is supposed to be in the message we each carry in the person of Jesus Christ in us. That's, that's the beauty. But jars, fragile. Vessel, what Peter is saying here, fragile. So if I can take it this far with us men, if you are going to treat your wife as the weaker vessel, but we have this treasure in jars of clay or vessels of clay, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, to show the surpassing power that belongs to God and not to us. Paul says, we are afflicted in every way but not crushed. Husbands, your wife is the weaker vessel. You should never bring affliction into your marriage in such a way that your wife would have to say, but I'm not being crushed. That's understanding your wife as the weaker vessel. Paul is saying, look, we expect affliction to come from the outside. We ex expect um, perplexion to come from the outside. We expect persecution to come from the outside. That's what he's saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But men, heaven forbid that we act like those who are on the outside. That our wives would be afflicted by us and that she would have to say, I'm not being crushed. That we would be so perplexing to our wives that she would say, I'm not being, still not being driven to despair. Heaven forbid 
that we would perplex our wives, that any level of persecution would come from a husband toward his wife, that she would have to say, but I understand I'm not forsaken. Men, that our wives would say, I'm not being destroyed even though my husband continues to strike me down. If you want to live with your wife in an understanding way, if you want to show honor to her and treat her as the weaker vessel, none of these things should identify your treatment toward your wife because it is not holy. It's not holy. That is unholy. It is evil. You live with your wife in an understanding way and you treat her as the weaker vessel. If you want to honor your wife, the passage goes on to say that you see her as she really is. Since, show, hold, show honor to the woman, to your wife, as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. You must see her, see your wife as she really is. I was listening to John Piper preach this, and he puts it the best. If she is an heir of the same grace you have received, that makes her an heir of the coming kingdom of God. And if she is an heir of the kingdom, that makes her a queen. John Piper says, husbands, guess what? You get to sleep with a queen. And so treat her as she is an heir of the coming kingdom, a queen that God has very graciously determined to be a part of your life. You sleep with a queen. Let's go back to Abraham. Um, Bjorn talked about it last week. Go back to Abraham. For his own sake, he didn't lay his life down for his wife. He said, I want you to lay your wife down for me, and I want you to say you're my sister because we're going into this evil land, and they're going to take you and mistreat, you, mistreat me if they know you are my wife. So just say you're my sister. That is unholy evil. Why would he do that? I do not understand why he would have done that. Heaven forbid we ever put our wives in such uncompromising positions or such compromising positions. Man, how do we do it both physically and spiritually? How do we put our wives in? Like that was, that's out there. I don't understand how he did that, Abraham. But men, we are guilty of putting our wives in compromised positions, both physically and spiritually. So let's talk about the spiritual, comp, or uh, per, com, let's talk about the spiritual implications of this. First Peter isn't all we have, right? We can go back to Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, we are called to love our wives as Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her. Gave himself up for her. So in other words, he laid his life down for his wife, the church. Husbands, we are to lay our wives down, our lives down for our wives because they mean more to us than our own life. That's what that means. And men, we like to say, yep, I'll stand between my wife and the bullet. But physically speaking, we would never not step in the way of the bullet, right? But spiritually speaking, husbands, when you see your wife engaged in a sin, are you willing to step between her and the sin that she is captivated by? Lay your life down for your wife. You step between anything that would harm her, any evil, including the very sin that captivates her. You put your wife in a compromised position if you are not willing to lay your life down for the sake of your wife as she's battling with sin. Paul goes on to say that men are to sanctify their wives, cleansing her, washing her with the water of the word. If you are not regularly reading the Bible together with your wife, if you're not doing that, then you're putting your wife in a compromised position because you are not washing her with the word, which is your responsibility, husband. This is what the holy husband does. Washes his wife with the word. Ah, for the sake of time... 
We're going to spin it towards the end, but listen to this. Holy husbands live with their wives in an understanding way, and they honor them as equal in their marriage. Honor them. We see our wives as they really are, our queen, and we treat her as the weaker vessel. So, so what happens when I struggle to be holy in my marriage? Holy toward my wife. Look at the very end of verse 7. We're supposed to do all of this in verse 7 so that your prayers, so that our prayers may not be hindered. What does it mean for our prayers to be hindered? Well, there are kind of three different takes on this. Matthew chapter 5 says that you're to leave your gift at the altar before you offer it and you go and make it right. Look, if you're not reconciled, if you're in a broken relationship with your wife, you need to go and make it right before you offer. So, in other words, if you're offering a prayer before God right now, understand that it's going to be impacted. It's going to infect your relationship with God. It's going to suffer because he's saying, whoa, I want you to go and make it right. Go and make it right first. Reconciliation first, verse 5 or excuse me, Matthew chapter 5. He wants unity first. Matthew 18 says, where two agree, those prayers are going to be answered. So your relationship with God is going to suffer if your relationship with your wife is not right, so much so that if you're in disagreement, go and figure it out first so that your prayer is not hindered. Prayer, after all, is us being in relationship with God. Our relationship is going to be hindered. And here's third Purity first, sin separates. Tell me now how hard it is to go to the Lord in prayer when you are not right with your spouse. Hard. Your prayers will be hindered, husbands, if you are not holy in your relationship with your wife. What your wife needs the most is for you to be holy. There are too many practicalities to address. But understand this, as we look at this, it comes right back to your heart's desire. Do you want to express, express the love of Christ, the holiness of God to your wife? If you do, that's the beginning. And the fellowship and the life of the church can come alongside you, will, about the state of your heart, and let's get after it together, okay? It's about the heart, not just for us men, but also for you ladies as we share together in marriage. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for what you do in it and through it, how you speak to us. Oh God, may husbands be holy. May it be our heart's desire to be holy. And oh God, may our, the wives of this church be holy, just as you have called them to be. In Jesus' name, amen.